Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master chat GPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution. Lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Caligaris for Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. Today, I am extremely excited to invite someone new on the show. Her name is Cindy Carrillo. She has a fascinating sort of background as a company founder, CEO, and so many other things. I'm not going to steal her spotlight. I'm going to let her tell you the story. But she has a book called Finding Your Next. And I unequivocally recommend this book. I had a pleasure of reading it. Uh, one of our instructors knows her and, and kind of had recommended it. It is a great book with great advice. And it is a fun read. So we're going to dive into all kinds of things about Finding Your Next. And as we dig in there, I, I think one of the things that's going to make this really interesting for our listeners is that for so many people listening, Cindy, product management is already their next. It's not the thing they thought they were going to be when they grew up. It's not the thing they went to college. So they already have this idea of, I am here and I can envision something else. But what you let us do this is just sort of on steroids. So I just talked a whole lot. But Cindy, welcome to the show. And please kind of tell everybody your origin story, right? How did you get where you are and and why you're so passionate about what it is that you do? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. My origin story, let's see. I I kind of have a really securitist kind of well, background in terms of I've done retail, I've done nonprofit work, I've been in politics. And then I ended up getting a master's in social work at a time where I was really trying to figure out what was next for my career and decided to take that and go into business. <laughs> and I started a mission-driven kind of business where I was really trying to help people with their work-life balance and came up with a program that was about childcare and women and employees and turned it into a business issue and built that business, had an amazing ride for about 20 years building a business, and then decided that it was time to sell it. Hmm. And found myself at the, you know, young age of about 53, 54 years old, looking ahead and saying, oh my goodness, what's next? Hmm. And decided to go into coaching, but made a big life change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that life change was that I decided to really reevaluate what I wanted my life to be and ended up going to Southwest Colorado and bought a 35 acre ranch. And I got to tell you, I'm a nice suburban girl. 
I had never <laughs> heard any time whatsoever on a ranch before and thought, this is a great place to sort of blow up my life and redefine myself entirely. And have spent the last about 12 to 13 years developing a whole new lifestyle, including coaching. But through that process, really figured out how to find your next. One of the things I found super interesting reading the book was that it was clear that you had always been, I think as the CEO of your company, you were sort of the visionary person, right? You, you are a person you get super excited about like, yay, we solved that. Now what else can we do? How else can we grow? How else can we succeed, right? So you had done in your business, you'd been very focused on what is next. Oh, and wait. then you just sort of like blew it up to like the umpteenth degree. But as you say, like you used a lot of the same frameworks that you use to make those sort of next leaps in your business in order to make this really big leap in your career. So I think it's really neat that that framework works for our professional lives, if if we're making a little bit of changes to or, you know, medium changes to get to the next level. And if we really want to envision what life could be, that it works in both ways. Absolutely. And I think the concept that resonated for me that really embodies what you're talking about is this is the idea that we get to take our lives with us. Mm. Oftentimes mm-hmm. we get to change point in our lives where we have an opportunity to step forward and maybe make a pretty monumental change, maybe make a smaller change, a pivot. But we get hung up on the fact that we have to start from scratch. Yes. That, oh my goodness, I have to start over and maybe I'm changing industries in a career or I'm changing career paths that I'm starting from ground zero. And what I realized moving here and changing my life so dramatically was, wait a second, all those skills, all those intuitive, visionary kinds of, you know, things that I could see, the momentum that I could create, the way that I worked with people, my organizational skills, the way that I could really project manage and take things forward. Well, all of that came with me. I just need to figure out how to apply them to the new situation. And I think that's what your audience faces when they fall into or evolve into the roles that they do. Uh, Yes. And I think that's a really good point, right? So so let's talk about, well, first of all, I think the question everyone's going to want to know is, okay, so Rebecca says I should read Finding Your Next. I'm going to go look for Finding Your Next. And I'm going to find out that next is spelt without an E. (laughs) Yes, you know, and it's funny. I needed something to distinguish the importance Mm. of next. Like we talk about what's next, but I wanted, I wanted to write a book about what was next. Yes, and so finding your next is finding your NXT, and the reason it is about that is because it's a big deal, even if it's just a next step. You know, there are small things that are just next steps. Okay, N-E-X-T. But the things that are going to pivot in our lives, the things where we're going to make changes, where we know that there's a process involved, mm-hmm. that's a next. That's an NXT. Right? Yes, that's a great. Okay, so you've got someone and they're thinking about what's next with it. Well, what's next? I have to say it like that. What's next, Right. And I think to your point, we've talked about this. It's not something that everybody feels they've got the freedom to think about, but you're really key on really think about what it is. And part of that is what you were just saying is knowing what you're good at 
and that you can bring with you. So if someone out there is listening and you're like, okay, first of all, help them bring into focus what a next is, what their next is, what would you say? You know, I think there are three major areas in our lives that we initiate change. And this is finding your next is about you initiating a change, not a change that happens to you. And I think we need to make that clear. Yeah. So if you're going to take the time, if you're going to make the effort to make a change in your in your life and step into a next, my belief is you should probably design it in a way that is meaningful for you, which means you need to stop and not think of a career move in terms of a job or a job title, but back it up. Change in a relationship, change in a life. Back it up before you initiate that change. Then start to ask yourself the question of what's important. Hmm. What's really important to me? And I work with my clients who I coach with or come to the ranch. I have a program for finding your your next at the ranch where we sit one-on-one and we delve into this. What we do is we really look at the words that exemplify, that define what is important in three areas. The first area is work, not job you do, but when you thrive working, because Mm. that's when you start to expand the perspective and the possibilities of how you could apply the things you're great at while you're working into any position that interests you. What's important? Maybe it's flexibility. Maybe it's being autonomous. Maybe it's, it's flexing all of your leadership skills. What are all the things that are important to you about working? The other category you got to ask yourself, what's important about your relationship? Hmm. The primary relationship in your life, because there's a ripple effect when we make a change in one area into another. So what are the things that are most important to you about relationships? Then also the third is what's most important to me about my lifestyle, the way I live. Do I want to live near the water? My ideal. Do I want a second home? Do I want to live close to family? Do I want... It's not a matter of any specific thing, right, wrong, or what you should, but getting clear within yourself of what's most important to you about the way you work, how you're in a relationship, and the lifestyle that you, oh man, would be the ideal for you. That's where you have to start. Right. The thing you picture and you just sort of like, there is like a sigh, whether it's physical or not, that it just, it feels like you're leaning into your place. Yeah. And I think one of the the ones that's always tough is, you know, what do you want out of work? It, for a bunch of, you know, type A personality product managers, really easy as for us to talk about like, okay, here's the title I want or the type of company or the role. And you really have us flip to think about what do you want it to do for you? Yes. Not just, but all of those things kind of, what do you want it to do for you? Start with the outcome. Exactly what we talk about, like when we're talking about what we're going to build, don't figure out how you're going to do what problem are you solving? (laughs) What outcome do you want? What is the goal? And make sure that is really crystal clear because that is what's going to come up, help you realize and build the vision of the next. You get to design it. And with the folks 
you know, when you're building a product, you're designing something with that end goal in mind. Well, another concept in the book is we have to kind of define what we're working toward. When yes. you know what you're working toward and you know what's most important to you, you then develop the criteria for making decisions as to what that change should be to meet your criteria. So we often, especially in jobs, right? We're wondering if we're most qualified. And if this job, could I do this? And can I sell myself about this? Or do I have the capabilities for this? I flip it even on that and say, what are your criteria? Mm -hmm. Because if you know the five most important things to you about working, then you have to hold those to be sacred. Yes. Those become your checklist to make the, you're looking for the company or the program or the job that's down the line. Now you have the criteria that helps you define and decide if it's right for you. Absolutely. I mean, this number of times I've talked to people who they jumped because, you know, they got distracted by the shiny salary or the or the title or the or the cool brand. And they knew they knew that it really like if they really thought about it, they it doesn't meet their criteria. And it's it's always a mistake. But in order to make sure that it matches whatever your next is, right, for your career, for your product, for your company, whatever it is, you have to spend the time and you make this point really clear, intentionally understanding what you're trying, like what are the outcomes? What does it need to do for you? And then intentionally use that to compare against the things that come in. That's all along the way too. Not just like, yes, that's my vision, but to keep you on your path through the whole process. Absolutely. And recognizing that, you know, the next in front of you is not your last one. Another really good point, right? This isn't like the final, what are you going to do when you grow up? It's just, that's scary. And you're like, oh, and if it's not perfect, yes. Oh my goodness. The pressure we put under ourselves that the decision is the most important decision for the rest of our lives. Yes. No, (laughs) no, I think we get all kinds of nexts and otherwise we're done. And that's not a great place to be when you're totally done. So I hope we all want a next next. I'm constantly reinventing myself. Heck, I wrote a book at 66 based on everything that I know. I wasn't done and I'm still not done. I'm trying to figure out what's next from there. So the pressure we put on ourselves is just unwarranted, especially when you talk about the intentionality. I love that, by the way, because we have two ways to go. We can let momentum take us along with sort of the unconscious riding the raft down the river kind of momentum where wherever it takes us, we're going to go. Or we could stick the oar in the water and we can direct where we want to go. That's intention. When we make decisions based on the criteria of what's most important to us, you know what that does for us? It allows us to decide this one criteria at this point I'm going to let that go. It's Mm. not that important in this situation, but I'm doing it consciously. I'm doing it intentionally. I'm making a decision based on what I believe I'm willing to make a change from rather than that sort of, oh, I don't know. Is that important? Oh, I don't know. Should I do this? Decisions come from clarity. This makes it clear. 
I do think there's this big first step, right? What do I want my next to be? What do I want it to do for me? That's a huge piece. And I spent a lot of time there personally, right? Then you have the vision and you're like, okay, I'm starting to see myself. You start to see yourself in a hat on a ranch, right? Learning how to do all kinds of things. Some people see themselves, you know, with their own business. Some people see themselves on a beach. But you, you have a vision, you have an idea. And yet it's rare that like, that's it. I have the idea, I'm off. There's still, you talk about the three big blockers yes. that go from, I have an idea. I think I know, I have a vision of my next to, oh, I'm going to actually start building towards that. We all get blocked. We yeah. all get blocked and we get blocked over and over. And the three areas that I think are pretty common hmm. are, uh, the first one is the most common and it's the fear of the unknown. We've never been there before. We get mm -hmm. we get scared. Well, of course we do. Nobody likes to stand on the side of a big cavern and abyss and say, oh, I'm just going to jump in there. Nobody does that. That's an indication that you still need information. Mm -hmm. That's an indication that you can't answer all the questions. You have more questions than you have information and answers for. Okay. Well, sometimes happens is we stop ourselves at that point rather than push through it and say, this is a good indication for me that I need to gather more. I need to be able to take the unknown and turn it into, this is about as much as I can know. It's enough for me to make a decision and move forward, yay or nay. And I think you do a really good job in the book to talking about you exactly what you said, right? You're switching from, oh, I don't know, to, okay, what do I need to know, right? Really starting to parse it down. It gets so much less scary than this like gray cloud of things. I don't know. I don't know. You start to go, okay, well, what do you need to know? Well, I, I okay, then I can start looking at those and figure out if I can figure those out. Now, I may learn those things and then be like, yeah, no, that's a bad idea. Or I can start to go, okay, those are not insurmountable. It's not just a crazy black cloud of unknown. Absolutely. That then leads to the second fear often. And the second block is another fear, which is the fear of failure. What if I do see it? What if I know it? I can answer the question, but oh my goodness, what if I do it and I fail? So here's what I tell my coaching clients all the time. And I tell my kids and I tell everybody. Who <laughs> I tell them failure is the four-letter word that I don't use, right? Mm. Why? Because failure only exists if we don't learn. Mm. If we learn, how could it possibly be thought of as a failure? It may be trial and error. It may, I may make mistakes. Yep. I'm, I'm absolutely going to make mistakes. Oh my God, I wrote a book outlining all of the mistakes that <laughs> there's I- There's some made. really great ones. I'm there's, just going to say, there's some really great ones involving chickens and, <laughs> and cows. Oh. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, but we can, if we laugh about it, we can laugh yeah. about it. We learn. I didn't make the same mistake twice. Mm. I learned and then that became part of the wisdom and the practice of now running a ranch and a farm. And I love it, but I'm still making mistakes. I'm still, you know, screwing up here and there. That's fine. What do we learn? 
So we stop because we're worried we're going to let other people down. That's a fear of failure. We stop because we're worried that we're going to disappoint, that we're going to look foolish. What if I fail? Well, learn. Always learn. It's interesting too, because as a product manager, one of the things we talk about and we encourage with our team, right, is fail, fail fast, go quick, fail fast, fail often. That's part of being agile. That's a good thing. We accept it. We preach it with our products. We have to give ourselves permission as people to have the same thing, right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes we struggle with that. Yeah, we do because I think we do a lot in work and for the companies that we work with and in practice that we don't see the connections into our own lives. We would never tell somebody as we're developing a product, oh, don't experiment. Well, experiments can fail. What did we learn? Mm-hmm. Now we're going to pivot. That's a business practice that is cherished and encouraged. Why don't we do that with ourselves? Yeah, we it's should. so true. Mm-hmm. So the third area that is almost, oh boy, this one is so insidious. Mm. This is when we know we need to make a change, right? I, oh, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate, I hate where I live. I hate you know, the noise, the this, the that. We're complaining. We're no, we know we're not happy, but we're settling. Mm. And we're willing to settle because we're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of failure, but the result of that and the bigger block is then we settle for something that is not serving us, that is not making us the best people in the, the fullest lives we possibly can have. And I think that's the worst. I think that's the time where we become so complacent that we get blocked and we convince ourselves that we should be grateful for what we have. Mm-hmm. It should be good. We, did, we shouldn't want more. We shouldn't, hey, at least you got a job and a paycheck. Hey, at least he doesn't beat you. I don't know. It, right. You yeah. know, we, we, it's not good enough. And we convince ourselves that even though it's not good enough, it's okay. And I don't know about you or any of your listeners, but I don't want to live a life that's just good enough. I want more. Well, and I think the other reason this also really resonated with me when I read the book is one of the things that your willingness to settle is that you think it's easier. Uh, I want the other, right? But it's hard and it's going to work. And you point out how much energy it takes to rationalize why you're not doing the thing that you want, why you're putting up with what you don't like and to cope with it, yes. right? What are, what, you know, the, the other things you do because you need to balance what feels like your life because you hate this one piece of it, whatever it is. Yes. It's an enormous amount of energy. What if you use that energy moving towards your next? And I was like, oh, dang, that's good. That's good, Cindy. That's smart. <laughs> it, it is the way out. Yeah. It is the way out of settling is to allow yourself to change your perspective. And we get locked in, man. That's why it's a block. We get locked into thinking that there's only one way to think. And that if it's good enough, if I'm here, I shouldn't want more. And even though I'm not happy in the amount of energy that I'm spending, I should stay there. 
when the reality is, oh my goodness, just change the way you're looking, you know? And sometimes it's a physical thing. You're in a swivel chair. Mm. Sometimes with my clients, I'll literally have them sit in a swivel chair and have them face in one direction Mm. and tell me what their perspective is. And then I'll say, I want you to now swivel that chair and look in the opposite direction. Give me the other way to look at it. What's the positive way? What could be a different outcome? What would you lose? What's the worst that can happen if you actually moved into a place of fulfillment? Mm. It's I just I was sitting here, I'm like many of our listeners, but I know not all. I work from home. And so I'm like, well, what if I just like rearranged my desk? Right. Like what if I just turned it around? I mean, even that it sounds silly, right? It's just a little thing, but it's like, oh gosh, I could you can feel the energy switch that would come with that. And sometimes it's just what you need to do. Sometimes it's just what you need to do. So you're you're obviously a big fan of finding your next. You're a big fan of not settling and making sure we're always moving towards the life that is going to be the most fulfilling in work and relationships. But you're also a really big fan that like this isn't just like, well, I guess I just hope it works, right? <laughs> like it's not just like you didn't just like go and be like, well, I guess I'm just going to start a ranch today, right? Like you're, you're you really lay out the steps and the plans and the process that helps it really help you define it and start to break it down so you can make it a reality. Absolutely. The way that, you know, there's a responsibility behind finding your next that if you don't know, you have to go find out. Well, I'm a nice Jewish suburban girl. I knew nothing, never (laughs) been on a ranch before. I had a responsibility. If I was going to bring goats on the property, I needed to learn about the goats. If I was going to bring chickens on the property, I needed to learn about that fencing, uh, irrigation. I can now have conversations about irrigation at a level that I should never have to have. (laughs) I mean, but you learn things along the way that inform you on how to take action. And you can't take action without the information and without the responsibility behind it. There was another concept that came up that I incorporated from when I was the CEO and ran a company. One of the things that we get stuck on sometimes is that we have to do everything the way others have done it before. Mm. And, you know, if the, and it's twofold. One is we have to look at how everybody else has done it. And then we have, that's the way, or this is the way we've always done it. Therefore, this is the way it has to be done moving forward. That last one. Anytime, right? (laughs) And if it doesn't make the hairs on the back of your neck go up, then you're not listening clearly to what that implies. That implies that you get stuck in one way of thinking and doing. And one of the greatest opportunities for finding your next is that you get to make it up. Hmm. You get to define, design, you know, um, envision what your ideal is. And then set about on a course to make that happen. But you don't have to be locked in. But let me give you an example. We made the decision that it was time to get animals on the ranch. And so what are we going to do with animals? What kind of animals? Start looking at all the animals. And I come up with the criteria that, okay, I want small animals and I want cute animals. 
And that was about the main criteria. <laughs> I'm totally we, with you. And any farmer listening is like, that's not criteria. That, that's not, <laughs> not the way most farmers do it, right? And I'm like, I don't care. This mm-hmm. is about designing the life I want to live, right? So I'd like small, cute animals. So I look at breeds of goats that are small. I look at and cute, cute. Why, why would you get a non-animal? Like I picked a cute cow. I mean, I call them my designer cows. They're Belty Galloways. They are black with this beautiful white belt around them. They look so gorgeous out on the green pasture. (laughs) I think that's important. You know, I got miniature horses and miniature donkeys. There ain't no better definition of cute. (laughs) Horses and miniature donkeys. But then... Okay, now I've got those. Now I have an idea. Now I've focused in. Now I'm narrowing down what that vision is and what I'm going to do. Now I've got to learn about miniature horses, miniature donkeys, pygmy goats, Nigerian dwarf goats. Now I can say what they are. The <laughs> Belt of Galloways. I, oh, I want some geese. Let me learn about geese. Cute geese, cute geese. The pigs. Now what do I do? Well, how am I responsible for? taking care of them. So now I'm going to build a barn because now I want the animals in a barn because they're small. So now I'm getting prey. If you mm. think about it, yep. Right? yep. So I've got to protect them. So I'm going to design a barn. Well, I know this is shocking. I've never designed a barn. Before. <laughs> so what do I do? I go to Pinterest and start looking for barn, yeah. right? Give me some visuals. Then I start doing the research. Okay. Then I start asking some ranchers, what are, if you were going to build a barn today with all of your years of mm, experience, smart. what are the things that you would suggest? Don't design a barn for me. Don't tell no. me what I got to do, what I should do. Tell me what you would do differently if you had the chance to design it now. Oh my goodness. They gave me such great pieces of advice. Then I melded that with all the great designs I saw on Pinterest. And then I researched builders and we went from there and got the products. And I would would tell you, now I've got a barn full of the cutest damn animals you've ever seen in your life. They're safe. The barn works. It's light. It's airy. All the things that I wanted. And it, it fits. It fits our life. And one of the reasons you can do that, right, go off the blueprint of this is what your barn must look like. All barns in all time have done this is because you had a really clear vision of what you wanted all of this to do for you, right? You have a working farm, but I don't believe your vision was like, okay, I need to raise enough cattle that I can live off just that, right? That, that is a very different work criteria for what your barn would need to look like and your animals would need to be you knew how this vision and the animals were fitting in something else. So again, that criteria allows you along the way to check against what you're making those decisions on. Will this support my vision for how the ranch will support me? How it will support my family and my visitors and my business allows you to be like, okay, I got great advice from people who really know how to do this, but it's okay if I'm off the norm because I have a distinct understanding of what I'm looking for it to do. You're absolutely right. At the very beginning of the process, looking at this 35 acres, which by the way, had nothing on it. So, I mean, we had to bring up services. It was pasture. And I'm looking out at this blank landscape and I'm thinking, what could it be? What Mm. should it be for us? And 
we came up, this is going to sound really weird, but we came up with essentially what became our mission statement for Mm. the ranch. And things like we wanted to live a sustainable lifestyle. And that was everything from building products to the energy sources that we ended up putting onto the ranch to the style of the buildings we have here to the animals and the fact that some of those were going to become a part of our food source. But sustainability became one of those criteria, one of those things we could filter future Hmm. decisions on. So the kinds of animals that we brought, we wanted to be able to create an environment where our friends and family, and then we ended up doing an Airbnb here and creating a destination. I bring clients. Who wants to come see the baby small animals? Like, who wouldn't want to do that? So it was an enhancement to having Mm -hmm. your Airbnb come to a quote-unquote working sort of ranch where you can interact with us. We grow our own food here. We have an Mm. extensive garden. We now have a greenhouse. We live a sustainable life. And yet, I wanted to be close enough to a Target and a supermarket because let's I don't live in a cave. <laughs> things that are very, very important to me about designing this, right? Yes. But we did have a moment in time where it was like, if we build it, will they come? Oh, uh, yep. But then I closed. I closed my eyes and I could see it. I could see, I could see people coming. I could see that we wanted to create, we wanted to share this land. Hmm. One of the criteria for me in finding land was a magnificent view. And the joke was that I was selling a company. I was going to retire. I always had to put retire in air quotes. Right, yeah. I didn't relate to it. But I needed to find a place where I could sit on that front porch and look out at a magnificent mountain view. I live in Colorado. Who wouldn't want that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Found it. Saw, stood on that property and thought, this should be shared. So that was one of the criteria. How do we do that? How do we build this out? What's the energy? What's the environment that we wanted to create here? So the barn fit into some of that early requ- those mm-hmm. requirements that we set up It really was our mission statement of how we wanted to live our life. And every decision that we make here, we throw that decision against those criteria to see if we can check those boxes. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's so important on the next and to make the next truly yours, to truly make sure it serves you and your needs. Because what there are a couple of things that really struck me as as we were going through this. I have no doubt that the city girl from the suburbs probably felt like an imposter more than once on the ranch. And I think that that's one of the fears that we have. We're like, okay, I can picture this. I think I can do it. And then I think I can do it. And also you're like, oh gosh, is everyone else going to buy this too? Like people are listening to me. This is fascinating, right? But you say that that's normal and that's okay. Just embrace it and move forward. Like you're going to, imposter syndrome is real, but it's just that. It's a syndrome. (laughs) Yes. And any time we step into something, I've got a good friend who, Whitney Johnson, who wrote a book called The S-Curve. And I relate to it a lot. And it's sort of a curve. And, you know, when you're at the bottom of that S-Curve, you are uncomfortable. That's the bottom. That's when you're starting a new change, right? Mm -hmm. 
So finding your next has a beginning, a middle, and, you know, a mastery level. And on that curve, she describes that entry level where we're starting something new. We always feel uncomfortable. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know all the answers. We start with a new company and we're like, we don't know where to go to. We don't know what our job is supposed to be. It's unnerving. We feel like we're sort of hobbling around. We're not standing on two feet. Then you go up the curve, like in finding your next, you hit that next level where you start to get the, the hang mm-hmm. of it. You know, yeah. so I got to a part where, you know, you hit your sweet spot. But for me, I kept thinking that I was faking it. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. really a ranch girl. What do I have to be to ranch mm-hmm. girl? And ironically, I asked one of the neighbors around here, at what point are you no longer a newbie? Then they said, when you're here about 20 years, (laughs) I thought, you know, I I have no patience. That's not going to work for me. (laughs) That's not enough. No, that's not going to work. So how do I step into this new life? Well, the, you know, at each stage, I became a little bit more knowledgeable, a little bit more proficient, but there was one point in particular where I realized like, you don't go through something like this and not be a ranch girl. And I decided at one point after we got the goats that I wanted baby goats because you can't get any cuter than baby goats. No, I mean- On the planet. I'm not quite sure you can get any cuter than that. So I decided we were gonna have baby goats. So I rent a male goat and that was an experience unto itself. He came <laughs> for a month to knock up the girls. He did his job. And then we had five months to basically wait for babies, which they do call kids. So go kids, right? Mm. So then I had four goats who were pregnant. And the first three, oh my goodness, I got to midwife them. I got to help. I I read everything, by the way. (laughs) Everything I could possibly get my hands on. I read everything I could, was convinced that, you know, oh my goodness, knew everything that could go wrong. And for the first three goats, they each had twins and it went seamlessly. I got to be there. I got to be a part of it. I set it up, man, I went into gear. It was so cool. And it all happened over about 10 days. And then the fourth goat was due. And I'm watching her and watching her. Her name was Bella. And I'm watching her and I'm thinking, this is not going the same way that the other. Thank goodness. I had three good births before that, but I'm watching her and I'm realizing something's not right. So I call the vet and she says, okay, do this, this, and this, which were kind of scary to do, but see if you can manipulate the kid. (laughs) You can pull the kid. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I couldn't. And she said, if this does not progress in the bed, never have to call me. I call. She was kind enough to come in the middle of the night. And she takes one look at the goat and she says, Cindy, this baby, this kid is not coming out. We're going to have to, if you want to save the baby and the mother, we're going to have to perform a C-section. Now, what goes through your head when you hear that? You think operating room, you think sterile environment, you think we're going to take this goat somewhere to perform. (laughs) No, she says, are you willing and able? 
And I'm like, still thinking we're going somewhere. <laughs> right? You're like, I could get the car. <laughs> or save the baby, save the mother. <laughs> and she said, okay, I'll be right back. Let me get my supplies. At what point my mouth drops. And I'm like, what do you mean get your <laughs> And she says, go ahead. While I'm gone, I want you to manipulate Bella onto your lap with her head on your lap. And I'm like, what, 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 what are we doing? And she said, we're going to do the C-section here in the stall on the floor, in the middle of the night, in the bar. And I'm like, and she said, and on your lap. (laughs) It's not an everyday occurrence for most of us. No. So we did. And I held Bella and she pulled that baby out and there were organs everywhere and she put them back and the whole thing took like 12 minutes. And and she handed the kid to Matthew and Matthew took the kid and he was a beautiful little boy. And it sounds like we're doing the season. Right. Right. <laughs> the middle night on the floor in the barn on my <laughs> um and you know, and she laughed and she congratulated me. I did such a great job. She did it all. All I did was <laughs> baby go, you know, the go. And I was walking back home with Matthew and he turned to me and he said, you did a great job. And he goes, you are such a ranch girl. There you go. Right. If you don't earn it after that, I don't know what else it is. (laughs) I did it. it. And you know, some of that imposter syndrome, it was something that extreme, but that ordinary to any other farmer rancher's life. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. do stuff all the time. But for me, that was something where I, I stood taller, I embraced it. And I think we all have a moment in whatever is new in our lives that we choose to change, where we feel like we just stepped into our next, where we know enough, we're doing enough, we've now hit that sweet spot where now we say, now we're getting there. Yes. We've initiated change. Now we're going to live the change. Yep. We're going to own it, right? We're going to lean into it and feel comfortable there. One other thing that hit me on a very personal level was one of the fears of next is the idea that you would say something like, I used to be the VP of product and marketing at Pragmatic, and now I'm a blank. Or in your case, you know, I used to be the CEO of my company, but now I'm, I'm this. And you made a really smart thing is that it's not you used to be, and now you're something else. It's, but now I am also a that. And like, what a powerful frame shift. I am not giving up who I was. I am adding to it and I am building on what I did there and what I learned there. But there was something about that that was great because it, it, there's a fear of giving up. Yeah. The, you know, it's that fear of change, right? <laughs> and it's the fear of loss. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and especially if we're not doing exactly what we feel comfortable doing, and we're we're moving on to something else. Mm-hmm. There's that, you know, going back to I think what I said earlier about everything comes with you. Your life is additive. Yes, and we do it in resumes, but we don't think of it in real life terms mm. about how we build. How do we build on our skills? How do we build on the variety of how we apply those skills? You know, if you're a one-trick pony and do it over and over and over again, are you doing yourself a service? Are you really tapping the depth and the breadth of who you could be, who you have been, 
who you want to be. You know, so we have to, I think when we go to find our next, it's that switch in the back of our head that says, I am now open to seeing opportunities and possibilities of bringing everything that I am to this next step, this next chapter, this next phase of my life. I want it to be more. Yeah. So, okay. One more, one more area I want to go before we leave. So I, you know, even as you talk about, you know, you you joke about retiring in quotes and it was clear you weren't going to do that. But I think it's also clear when you start with a blank piece of land and you build all of that into buildings, that there's a lot that goes on. Right. And I think, again, a problem that many of us, you know, a type personalities and overachievers are when you go into the next, often part of your reason for next is a desire for some sort of lifestyle change or edit. But as we get excited, it's easy also to, to lean so far into the next that we find we're, we're working really hard, right? Like, a, like maybe even harder than we had been, right? And making sure that we still have a balance and we still have time for the stuff that matters is something you circle on as well in your book. Could you talk a little bit about that? That would be great. Absolutely. And it happened to me. I, I do have a tendency in my mm-hmm. life yes. to overdo. And if I set out in a path and I say, I want to do this, sometimes it, it sort of takes over. Yes. And, you know, when you're in business, when you're working, it's sort of expected that you're going to work really hard and it's always a challenge to find the right balance. And now I, I refer to it as blend. I struggled with that on the ranch because mm-hmm. everything we did became a lot. So mm-hmm. goat babies that first time, that was great. That was six. I enjoyed that. That was seven. Sorry, because we had the, the C-section baby. Then I decided to do it again. We mm-hmm. ended up with 29 goats. Oh, my. I two pigs pregnant. And now we've got Oh, 27 piglets. Oh my. And we then start the Airbnb and then everybody wants to come to the ranch because magnificent views, baby cute animals. Carmen, <laughs> Matthew and I are great hosts. So we now created a bit of a monster and mm. an overdue on the life that we were trying to design, which Actually, in our ideal scenario, in our ideal vision, we wanted to be able to have time to travel. We wanted to be able to have friends and family down. We wanted to be able to just go for a walk. Mm. We got to the point where we had so much going on that we limited ourselves and some would argue by our success in doing it, which I appreciate, but we kind of lost control of the reins. And I think we did that because we lost our compass to what really was important to us about how we wanted to live. And we let the activities, we let the tasks, Mm -hmm. we let the things that sort of the opportunities get a little out of hand. And we stopped designing and driving and we stopped the intentionality and we let the momentum of the ranch take us. And it took 
a situation where we couldn't fit some family members into the guest house that we had built and were now on Airbnb because we were so booked Mm -hmm. and we couldn't get off property to travel because we were so booked and we had so many animals. We sort of created this momentum that we lived and forgot the direction we were going in and the design we had set up. So some people refer to this as work-life balance, you know, and I went into business very early and was one of the proponents of work-life balance. I am now challenging that concept. I think instead of thinking about work versus life as separate from life, where we're trying to balance out the two as if life is separate from work, right? Right. I think of it as a big stew pot. I think life is a big pot of stew or whatever you like to eat. And the ingredients that we throw into the pot, the meat, work, what we earn, our family, the vegetables, the doesn't sound like you like your family that much. <laughs> all of the things that we like to, you know, do for recreation, the spice and the herbs, ooh, travel, parties, mm-hmm. all kinds of things that we like to do. I want to develop and design a delicious life. And I don't want to have to look for a 50-50 kind of balance. I want to look at the perfect blend. And what we lost our handle on was the blend. Mm. We let certain ingredients take over and others end up being pushed down and our life wasn't quite as delicious anymore. It was a little bit out of whack. So we needed to use some tools. Like if we didn't put a trip on the calendar, like eight months out, we would let a whole year go by. Mm. But if we did put a stake in the ground and decide that we were going on a trip, we then planned for somebody to be at the ranch to take over. We blocked off the Airbnb. I let my coaching clients know that I wasn't going to be available. And we created a plan that allowed us then to step in the life that we really wanted. And then we had our delicious stew again. Nice. So just a little bit more on the sort of immersive experience you do offer at the ranch, like part of the vision and part of how you built the ranch is so that you could offer this. And I just, I think it would be great to hear a little bit more about it. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a program that I developed based on the concepts in the book, but we do it together. And it's an immersion to find your next. It's two and a half days at the ranch. And I do it here because this is such a magical and special place. That's the first thing. The second reason is I like people to get out of their current reality, Mm. come down here. You can't really do a deep dive and immerse yourself in you when you're in your current reality and you're in your job, in your family doing that. So I like people to come to the ranch for that. The other special part of the immersion is I don't do groups. I only work with individuals, couples, business partners, but It's all about you when you come, which I have to say can be kind of uncomfortable. Oh yeah, I can see that. Right? Because there's no hiding. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And everybody gets really scared about, oh, do I need to know the answers? Do I need to know what's next when I come? Which would be silly because that's the reason for you coming. Yes. But we eat together. You, You stay in the guest house, gorgeous accommodations. And then we work 
one-on-one or as a couple or as business partners together to figure out what those things are that are most important what the criteria is. We talk about the numbers that are going to make it work. We talk about what you see and how to create from a vision, action steps, and a plan to actually make it happen. And it's glorious. It's fun. It's so much fun. But everybody's scared before they come. (laughs) And obviously there are small animals. And if they go at the right time of year, baby goats, which I have to tell you guys, I finished the book. I emailed her to tell her I loved it and demanded pictures of the baby goats. And they did not disappoint. (laughs) They were adorable. All right, Cindy, we talked about a lots of different things today. If you were going to have listeners do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would that be? I think the first thing is to look at what you're doing right now and ask yourself, are you, it sounds so cliche, are you happy doing what you're doing? Are you fulfilled? Because oftentimes you can stay doing what you're doing and tweak and pivot what you're doing. Those are next, by the way. Mm-hmm. Elevate to get more out of what you're doing. We all have an opportunity to move forward. So I would ask everybody who's listening to think about what would you do differently if you could make it up and there were no rules about how you're doing it now? What would you do to design the life you want just a little bit differently so that you feel, I am fulfilled and living the life that I want? That's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is ask yourself if you're thinking that you're not satisfied or settling or just not where you want to be, what's getting in your way? Mm. What are you fearful of? And then what's the worst that can happen? It's often surprising when you think about what's the worst and it's not nearly as bad as you think it might be. It never is bad. And my boundary for that is if it doesn't cause death or maiming, I can fix everything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then what's stopping you from finding your next? This is a positive thing. This is a way to step forward and to move into what the next opportunities are in life. All right, Cindy, this was fantastic. I highly recommend the book, Finding Your Next, which I know is on Amazon. But if people wanted to hear more of your thoughts or learn more about you or talk to you, what is the best way for them to reach out? I have a website, which ironically is called findingyournextnxt.com. And it, it outlines, it's a beautiful website that outlines not just the immersion, but also next coaching that I do one-on-one with people. And of course, you can buy the book from there. Yes. And I, I, the book is, it really gave very actionable sort of blueprints, whether your next is big, like I want to do a ranch or smaller, like I just need to find some balance in different places. But it also really is very entertaining. It's filled with Cindy's successes and and some, you know, missteps along the way of starting the ranch that not only entertain, but like do a great job of illustrating what exactly that might look like. So highly recommend. Thank you so much for joining us, Cindy. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.